You're listening to the Teak Nation Podcast, where we strive to educate, inspire, and entertain you with tips and lessons from frauders and friends of TKE. Hello, Teak Nation Podcast listeners. My name is Alex Swinson. I'm very excited to be back with you after our two-week layoff. Hopefully, you enjoyed the Leadership Academy show last week. I certainly enjoyed it. I went back and listened to it. I made a few really funny jokes on there that I'd forgotten about. So that was worth a good chuckle. Don, we're together in the same room. Do you want to tell our lovely listeners in what part of this glorious country we are residing in currently? We're out on the left coast, as some say the best coast. Well, the West Coast, best coast. That's right. Working with... Beta Sigma, University of Southern California, one of our perennial top teak chapters, as well as we're going to go down and do some work with our new group at San Diego State. Can't call them a colony yet because they aren't yet a colony. The San Diego State Expansion. That's right. Excited to get those guys a little support this week and get them off the ground. I know they've got some big plans, some big goals, so we're excited to work with them as well. Longtime listeners of the podcast know our level of admiration for the Los Angeles, San Diego area. Yes. I believe they have uh, USC, Los Angeles, San Diego. They've all made certain rules of three for favorite locations. So this is, uh, this is the spot to be right now. And we are also not without guest. You want to, you want to introduce yourself, esteemed guest? He's, we, we have three of us sitting around the same laptop right now, which is a very unique opportunity. Absolutely. I'm very honored to be on the podcast. Uh, David Bowling here, um, part of the Teak Foundation and, of course, a longtime Beta Sigma advisor. Beta Sigma is USC. Is that correct? Beta Sigma chapter is USC. University of South Carolina, Southern California. Well, a lot of people mix that up. Okay. But yeah, no, University of Southern California. Okay, gotcha. So now we got a little background on on David. We actually uh, have the privilege of staying in in David's home this evening. Thank you for opening your doors up to to the Teak Nationals contingent. I'm happy to do it. I'm excited about you guys staying here. This is uh, is this the first trial run with guests in the house? No, I've had the family over many times. Oh, okay, gotcha. <laughs> well, the first trial run with uh, Teak guests. So right. first time. This is the first time guests. you've turned this house into right. a, into a Teak house. That is correct. So either we put letters. Future teeks, we put letters after out. our state. It will either be future Teaks allowed in, or this could be the one and only, depending on how it goes, how we treat this property. That is true. So we, as Donnie mentioned, are spending some time with the chapter at Dave's request. To an extent. Permission. (laughs) (laughs) We have the honor, have had the honor of standing in one of Beta Sigma's two houses. That's two, that's two more houses than a lot of chapters have. I don't know if you knew that or not. Um, Dave, how do you feel about the Beta Sigma chapter this upcoming year? I know our listeners are, are dying to hear more about the guys at USC. I am pumped up for the chapter. They have had a year in which they you know, were very active and did the most they could with COVID, but with you know, COVID still around. But I think they're really looking forward to uh, doing the social things that uh, they used to do. This is, a, uh, this is an apolitical podcast. So you saying COVID is still around could spark some controversy. I just want you to know that. Well, I mean, you know, let's just say that uh, people are worried about COVID, oh, okay. especially that's, universities. That's better. That's fair. Uh, so Dave also, Dave's a longtime volunteer. He mentioned a little bit uh, about that, both for Beta Sigma, and you have given some time to the International Fraternity as a Grand Province Advisor, among other positions currently. 
on the foundation board. He also used to be on the Grand Council. Probably an important piece for us to know. That's right, Donnie. Thanks for mentioning that. <laughs> I always like to bring that up. Do you? Uh, Dave's actually wearing his, his patch grade officer medal right now. <laughs> right now. <laughs> you can't see him. Um, Dave, one of the, uh, on a serious note, we've had a lot of volunteers on this podcast before. Not you, of course. Um, but we we always like to ask, why is it that you stay so engaged with the fraternity? Why is it you get back to Teak, to Beta Sigma, financially, with your time? You are, uh, one, I would say, a gold standard of what a Teak volunteer can and should be. How have you put yourself in position? Why has Teak been important enough to you to continue to be a part of throughout your life? I, You know, my experience at Teak during my time at University of Southern California was just probably the most impactful thing I have ever done. All my friends, my business, everything I still do involves people that I met at school. So I just feel like I, I enjoy giving back. I see it in, you know, the college students that I work with over the years. It's been such a long time. I see them come back. They appreciate what I've done. They, it's meaningful to them. They may have hated me at the time, but a few years later, I think I'm really making an impact. So, you know, between this and the work I, I do with my church, it's just very meaningful to me to, to do it. Even when you throw all of their stuff away out of the garage, they still come back and say... That is way too fresh to, to oh, talk okay. about. We don't joke about that. Episode. That could be a... That we, yes, we just say too soon in those yeah, circumstances. Right. They, yeah, they're not very happy about that incident. Well, none of them listen to podcasts. Right? Yeah, probably, probably, yeah. probably don't. <laughs> We got to work on the beta sigma audience. This is this is our ground floor. This is off. the this is the end. Can you you mention Dave in passing there the fact that you work with many of the folks your business that you that you met at USC? Can you talk a little bit about that? Because I think it's a unique story for those out there listening of how you and some other teeks started a business together. Yeah, well, uh, I'd been out of school for you know three or four years. And uh, I'd done a number of different things. And then one of my fraternity brothers, Justin Wu, had an idea. This is back in 1995. Let's get into the internet. And he had to explain to me what the internet was. And he did. And I didn't really get it. And I was kind of like, still well, no, I actually <laughs> thank you. But I did, I did, you know, understand that there was an opportunity there. And so uh, I agreed to with Justin. So yeah, let's, let's do a company. And, um, you know, it's the greatest decision I ever made. We then were joined by another uh, Beta Sigma Teak, Richard Ballou. And from there, we just kept rolling up the talent. I mean, that's part of, I was chapter advisor back then. And I mean, I'm still kind of the chapter advisor, but uh, I, I would see the best members and I would say, hey, that's somebody I'd like to join our company and be a part of the team. And it's 25, 26 years later, and we still have almost all those people together. So uh, talk about connections, talk about, you know, that you meet the people that are going to, you know, make or break you as you uh, progress in your career. It just all came true for me. And have you continued to have internships or other opportunities where some of the current students, let's say over the last decade or so, have they had opportunities to learn from some of your business experience and put some of those into practice? Yes, we have offered internships uh, off and on for 15, 20 years now. So we're really committed. In fact, I get you know asked all the time uh, by the people who are hiring. They go, "Do you have anybody out of out of the you know the teak house at USC that you want?" 
unfortunately, and hopefully they're not listening right now. I, I don't have anybody in mind. Wow. But I know it's like 150 of them. There, there are not a one, of them. not, not one, but you know, it's not that they're not talented people. I just don't see them being the right fit. For, not the right path for them. For them. To, so they got to crush in recruitment this fall. That's right. Find that Go find exactly. Apollo Interactive's going to, everyone's going to retire. There's going to be no employees left if, if we don't go. We're recruit. not that old, Alex. Are you willing to take teaks from other chapters to Absolutely. come work at Apollo Interactive? We have two teaks from other chapters working for us right now. So that's. Did you know that? I did not know that. Where are they from? We have one from Northridge, Cal State Northridge, okay. also from Southern California, and another from UC Santa Cruz. Very nice. So back to the, the business piece, because this is something that I know you get asked often. Uh, for those who were part of the virtual RLCs, you got to sit in a session with Dave and, and talk a little bit about this, but you started a business essentially from scratch with your friends. I know that there are a lot of aspiring entrepreneurs out there, prospective entrepreneurs, whether they're in college, whether they're fresh out of college, what advice would you give for them? What are lessons that you learned the hard way when it comes to starting a company that you wish maybe you would have known at the time that maybe would have made your life a little easier that, that you have an opportunity now to share with those who, who come to ask you? Well, I will say that I think the approach that we took, while it might sound old fashioned, was the best approach for us. And I think the best approach a lot of the time. And that is to just simply, you know, go in, it doesn't, you don't need lots of money, you need lots of hard work. And you need to be committed to maybe in your first year, you barely make any money. And maybe in your second year, you make just a little bit more. And maybe you're, you feel like you're falling behind your, your peers who are, are, you know, have better jobs. But rather than worrying about let's raise money, and it seems like that's what everybody's obsessed with now. How do I raise money? I've got to like, you know, do an offering or a series A or all, all this kind of stuff. I feel like that you can get bogged down into that. And it's all about a process rather than really building your company. So that's what we did. We started with $1,200. That's, that's all pretty, the money that we started. And we never borrowed any money. And we've grown the company into what it is today. It's a multi-million dollar company now. And uh, it just, it's especially rewarding when you do it that way. So I would just say hard work and be willing to make less money. And I'm even going to compare this to a career at, at Teak headquarters on Teak staff. You know, it's not, seriously, it's not the best paying job. I mean, you'd know that, right? Alex? I do know, I, yeah. I know that firsthand, yeah. However, <laughs> the experience you get from it is otherworldly. It's like, you just can't get the experience that you get working at, at, at Teak headquarters in any other career. And whether you stay there as long as you have, which has been great, or as long as Donnie has, um, or if you just spend four or five, six years there and you really put in the work, you are positioned in life to, to, to excel. Full disclosure, we did not ask Dave to do a plug for working on staff. So, we, you we'll, know, we'll, I always we'll, wished we'll I was on that. staff. Well, in a Dave, second, life. how many oh, times do I have to tell you? Right. There are plenty of opportunities to come work on <laughs> yes, staff right now. I want to, before you go, Don, I want to go. We like to tell stories on the podcast. I love to tell stories in my everyday life, as you know. Take us back to 95, 96, 97, right? You're starting a company, $1,200. That's like one tenth of the annual dues to be a member of Beta Sigma right now. Like what, what is, what, what's your, what's your day to day? How, uh, where, where are you living? Who are you living with? Are you, are you just with your buddies kind of collaborating and living together? I mean, 
making that work is something that I think every entrepreneur who finds success or doesn't find success goes through at some point, this whole, like to, to your point, am I going to make it? Did we make the right decision? And then at what point, and maybe you still haven't hit it, although I would argue that you have, at what point were you like, holy shit, like this is a career now, this is a company now, this is something that I'm going to be able to do for as long as I want to. All right, so a lot of questions there, but I'll start yeah. off with- Do you want I, me to go back through them one by one? No, 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 no. I'll, I'll, I'll start off with, I mean, cause this is interesting. I was the only one that actually fully graduated from USC at the okay. time. And I actually lived away from the fraternity house here in, uh, in fact, right here in El Segundo. El Segundo. Where I lived, just in a different Sunny house. Sunny El Segundo. Sunny El Segundo. Justin Wu was living in what was called Teak South, which was a third rental house that we had. We had the two Teak houses and, and, and you know, Teaks out. I, and then I didn't know Blue, that, but that's well, good info. That's true. Bring it back. And Richard Blue was an active member of the fraternity at the time. And he was the, the third guy. So I was basically dealing with one guy that was like on the verge of graduating, one that was an active member, and then me that was actually a, a, an alumni and, and had this as my only full-time job. And you can only imagine, you know, our, our hours officially were starting at 11 a.m. That was our, our official start time. And I could barely get the two of them out of bed before <laughs> you know noon 1 p.m but they would work all night so i would do a lot of the sales and, and marketing and then magically when i'd wake up in the morning and it's not like i'm an early bird but uh, when i'd wake up in the morning all the work would be done so it, we officially started in a fraternity house that's an interesting lesson there so then the next question if you recall that i asked when did you know that this was this was viable that this was something that was making money that was putting you on a path to, I don't know if you ever could have anticipated it getting it to where it is today, but where you said, okay, like we're in this, we've hit it, let's keep going. We're gonna build this thing bigger than we could have imagined. In our second or third year, we pivoted away from a strategy, which was we're gonna get a lot of little clients, each one buying a $99 package. And then of course the math was, and then they have to spend $50 a month on hosting the website. Oh, okay. So I would sit there and I go, all we need is is 1,000 clients, and then we've got $50,000 a month rolling in. So it was th this idea of getting a lot of little clients, and that really didn't work out for us. We got little clients, but they didn't stay very long. So we pivoted then to, let's just get big companies and let's try to go with the, the biggest brands, the most, you know, a bling bling of all, of all the types of people that we could, that we could find. And when I saw that we could actually do that, and remember, this is really early. So I could call companies or I could call Ice Cube himself and tell them that we want to build a website for them and they'd listen and they'd have us over and we'd do a presentation. I'm not saying you can do that today, but we could. And when I saw that I was able to land big companies, movies, uh, WB, television network, things like that, I really felt that this was going to be a real career and be very successful. Did you actually call Ice Cube? I actually called Ice Cube. Did he answer? He didn't answer, okay. but his office answered and they put me through because he was interested in a website and I was saying that we are the best website company in the United States. Okay. So I never knew that story. See, I'm so glad that I've cried into your life. Um, we do apologize for a little bit of the background noise. Dave had to brush his teeth here with his uh, Sonicare while we were... Uh, Oh, we're going, but well, there's always construction on this house. I like to call it like the Winchester <laughs> Mystery House of Southern California. I've noticed a lot of a lot of stairways to nowhere to, mm -hmm. to throw the ghosts off. That's smart. So, Dave, earlier you were talking about we were talking about T staff, and over the last decade or so, you have been a phenomenal friend of the professional staff. Can you talk about 
how that came about, why you continue to be so engaged with the staff and be supportive of the staff and really a big part of our staff family. Who your favorite staff guy is. Let, let's not get into that because we don't need to hurt. Top 10, we don't need to hurt feelings. <laughs> so that, that's a great question. I think it goes back to my secret desire that I missed, which is I would have loved to have been on the Teak staff. So when I would go to Teak events, and I think it all started off with, with Justin, Justin Wu, who's one of my business partners, going to the Leadership Academy back when it was like, you know, way early Leadership Academy. And then he went to the, do you remember the Teak staff apartments? Have you oh, yeah. heard of those? Oh, yeah. oh, yes. And so I flew out there just to hang out with him after the uh, Leadership Academy. And I got to see the, the staff apartments and I got to meet the staff. And Brian Bates, by the way, was one of the members on staff during that moment in time living in that uh, um, uh, apartment. And I kind of said, this is the greatest thing ever. I would love to be able to like work and do tape, you know, 24 seven and live in a, an apartment. And I just loved it. So from there, every event that I went to, I would tend to try to hang out with the staff more and more and more because I just wanted to. And as I became more well-known on, on a national level, I think that, you know, people actually paid attention to me more on staff instead of running away from me. So they, <laughs> they let me, they let me, in, and especially you guys have, have allowed me to, to be brought into your, your meetings and kind of on the inside. And I, I really appreciate it. And I, and I love it to this day. I like to talk Teak. Well, and I've always had a secret desire to start a digital marketing agency, <laughs> which is why I've, I've befriended you is it's stayed, right. so, well, stayed so close. We're, we're like two peas in a pod. Exactly. Like. Inseparable. Um, <laughs> Going back to, to Teak, you have seen, you've seen Beta Sigma, Beta Sigma, for those who, who are unaware, was not always the powerhouse it is right now. It, it was, no, it what, 25, 30 guys there for a while and yep. had to be built back up. And you do a great bit about uh, being good, being great, and being epic. And I know we don't need you to do a 45-minute keynote on that right now, but that is really the principle that you've applied or, or the principle that you've come to know through your work with Beta Sigma. Break that down a little bit. What, is that, what does that mean? How can guys listening out there, whether they're alumni volunteers, whether they're current members, take some of those lessons and look to grow whatever group or chapters that they, they work with? Well, first of all, I have to be honest, it's a challenge. Um, turning around a fraternity is a challenge and then keeping it good is an even bigger challenge and it takes a lot of time. So I just, there's no magic formula. You can make something happen in one semester, but if you want it to like progress for a long time, it, it, it requires a whole It's system. like starting a company. It's like starting a company. Wow. Look at you seeing you the need to take a break. See that? <laughs> He's, He's an apprentice who's on his way. Good for you. Yeah. So I, I came up with an idea and, and that was, is that you first have to make a fraternity good. And I defined good by basically, you know, you don't haze, you don't get in trouble, you uh, you pay your bills, you uh, actually recruit some people, you're functional. And unfortunately, uh, Beta Sigma wasn't always functional, even when I was a part of it. So that was the first thing I kind of did is that we just have to be a functional, and I call that good fraternity, meaning that we actually, you know, are serious about running a fraternity. Once you go to good you then can go to great. Now, great, in my opinion, requires you to be big. And my, my definition of big is if you look at who's big on your campus, that's how big you have to be. So if on your campus, the biggest fraternity is 75 people, you've got to be at least 75 people. At USC, it was you know over 100. So you had to be at least 100 people. And you have to do that consistently. So 
we worked really, really hard on it. We spent the entire decade of the 90s almost trying to get to 100. I think we danced around 97, 98, 90. we never actually did it. But that was an entire decade of becoming what I would consider a good fraternity. So, oh, I'm sorry, a great fraternity. We were good already. We became a great fraternity. And then, as I've said before, what, what's an epic fraternity? An epic fraternity is, is the next phase. And that's when you can be great for a long period of time. And when you are great for a long period of time, you create a culture that replicates itself. The members expect the greatness. And so you can become epic. Now, the key is, or the secret to epicness, is that it almost certainly requires alumni support over that time. Because a fraternity left to its own devices is going to stumble and fall. And it's alumni that can help them pick themselves up and take the little, you know, uh, slide back and then get right back on track to being a great fraternity. So uh, it probably took a long time for me to explain. That's that, all right. That's I, good. I think that applies. Is that it is epic. You're right. So a lot of folks in the fraternity are great at love and esteem. The third attribute is, of course, charity. Can you talk about why you are so charitable towards the organization? You talked about being a part of the Teak Foundation. You're a, a vice president on the Teak Foundation and someone who is extremely giving. We talked about how you've been great to host the staff and all of the things that you've done as part of our family, but you also have opened up your pocketbook. And there's no doubt in our organization, we have to enhance that piece of our culture. You know it firsthand through your work with the foundation. Can you talk about why you are charitable? Why? why it means enough for you to make those types of sacrifices for the fraternity. Well, I believe that's incredibly important for me to sacrifice in giving financially. And I think that starts with, with my faith and I give money to my church and I intend to give money to things that are worthy and deserving of it and media. And there's really, the fraternity is one of the most uh, deserving worthy and especially needy groups that I can possibly give money to. So I feel like I make a big impact. You know, I could give some money to USC and honestly, I don't, but they wouldn't care. The amount of money I could give them wouldn't make an impact, but I can give that money to Teak and it makes a real impact. It, it, it is, it, I can see where it goes. I can talk to the people that can tell me how important it was. And, and that's why I give and I give to my own chapter. It's, it's not necessarily uh, needed anymore. But for good 20 years, it probably was. My last question, Dave, is as we progress out of this, this COVID mindset and, and the struggles of the last year, again, as someone who's seen a lot of ups and downs, not just with your home chapter, but with the fraternity as a whole, someone who's a leader in the organization, who's helped not just with Beta Sigma, but helped with multiple chapters. What do you think it is that, that our members and our alumni need to be focused on this fall to help Teak bounce back and rebound and get back to the level that, that we know we can be at? So we have to focus on recruitment because we've essentially, unfortunately, a lot of chapters I feel like took a year off or there were a lot of reasons why it was hard to recruit, but it's not only is it open and it's especially open in the minds of the 18 and 19 year olds that, are, that want to join a fraternity, they desperately need a fraternity right now. So we just have to focus on finding those guys and inviting them to be a member. And that's, I think that is, and I'm sure you agree, that really is job number one this, this semester. I, I do agree. Yeah, you, you got me dead to rights on that. Yeah, I couldn't, couldn't agree more. We talk about it almost on every episode at this point, but the importance of recruitment when it comes to how we bounce back. What are aspects, Dave, when it comes to recruitment for USC, they've done such a phenomenal job year over year of recruiting large numbers. 
what are a couple things, or if you've got more than a couple, that you, that you would share that are transferable to all the different groups, things that they do, whether it be how, the, the questions they ask of potential guys and finding out and vetting guys who are good fits, uh, whether it be the type of events they have, the, the extra work they put in to get guys to come, come to their property or to have those conversations. What are things that you think are transferable across the board that they do well? Because everybody always wants to know, you know, what is USC doing and how they can duplicate it? So that's an interesting question. The part that I admire about the guys at Beta Sigma the most right now is that they still are tryhards when it comes to rush. And they don't have to be. If they really wanted to be, they could be like a, a lot of the other fraternities at USC and just sit back and let the guys come in and then go, I'll pick you, I'll pick. They have that reputation. They could literally do it that way, but they don't. It's the one thing, and it's kind of their system they've put together over the years that they, are, they take extremely seriously. And the amount of planning and organization and effort they put into it is, I'm always impressed with it. Now, they have good backing. You know, we have a live-in house director, so those houses are immaculate. So it's not like they have to sit there and clean things up. They probably wouldn't do that if they, you know, if they had to on, on their own. But they certainly know how to be on message and they, they know how to differentiate themselves. They know what TEAK stands for differently than the other top fraternities at USC. And they're just laser focused on, on doing that. And I think any chapter can do that. I mean, I'm not saying it's easy, but you can do that. Can you talk, give an example when it comes to preparation? What kind of time or maybe the number of meetings or what does that look like in terms of the preparation? Because I think it's one of the critical aspects you mentioned that a lot of groups take for granted or, oh yeah, we'll roll out some of the things we did last year and don't think about how that planning piece could set up all the success for the rest of the, that week. So one of the things they do is they start in the summertime and it's funny, they do this. It, we used to do a much more formal thing called triangle achievement. But what they do now is they just network amongst themselves in the high schools where they're all from, and they start identifying all the people that they're interested in way in advance who they know they're going to USC. And they build, and I think it's done mostly through social you know, networking and things like that, they build a, um, a target list. So they're able to tell me when I say, hey, how, how's Rush going to go? Before they even know who's rushing, they can say, we've got 16 really, really outstanding guys that, that we're going to get, and we're going to build from there. Now, that, that comes from them planning, thinking, and individually all networking to find these guys in the first place. So that, that's something that they do. And then from there, it just becomes, they get to see everybody. USC has a formalized system. I don't really like it, but they force all the rushies to go to every single fraternity. Mm -hmm. And so when that happens, the more you're on and the more prepared you are and the more you're on point about why your, your chapter is the best or your fraternity is the best at the school, the more impression you make on these guys. You have a chance to do that with everybody. The other thing they do is that I see them work guys that I know they would never take, but they give them the same respect and the same pitch that they do anybody else. And it's really, it's, I, I find it impressive that they're like that. Well, the important piece about that there is even if they're not going to be members, you still want them to be allies or proponents of the chapter, even if they're going to join another chapter. That's why it's critical when you're going through recruitment that you do show everybody that aspect of respect. But what I really love is they basically create a head start for themselves by all the prep work that they do during the summer. So they've already got 16 guys. Now they're looking to how those 16 guys can turn into 32 guys and turn into 48 guys. And that's so that's a, a really critical aspect that you touched on. Well, and, and to stop the, the Beta Signal Love Fest for just a moment, if that's okay with you, 
Sure. I mean, I'd like to say a little bit more about. Yeah, we, we, we got we, we got we got all day. You've heard that before, so yeah, we'll no, say that I, we, I, I can I can do that next week on my own. We, okay. don't, we don't need you for that. Um, the guys at Beta Lambda at Auburn have taken forty six new members in the first three or four days of school. We were talking to to our good friend Santos about that, and he said a lot of what you just said, Dave, which is they put in so much work over the summer, they put in so much work last spring, they had a plan, they had a list, they worked it over and over. And it's almost to the point where the work, the, the work to actually get guys across the line to join, a lot of that does itself when you're that prepared and that ready to go. When you put in the, the time and the energy versus, right, two days before rush starts, you sit down in a meeting and say, all right, guys, what are we going to do for rush this year? That's, that's not how you find success. So I, I just want, first of all, shout out to those guys at Auburn. I hope they recruit more than USC does this year. You always do. I, always I am always, I am always that my, my favorite chapter in Teak is always the one that might recruit one more guy than Beta Sigma. Can, um, I, can I tell a story about Beta Lambda? Of course. Because and this is a good, good story. You, um, we'll be the judge of that. Well, hopefully you'll like it. <laughs> we used to look up to them in the late 80s and the early 90s, we, we used to think that, that we aspired to be like Beta Lambda. Now, I don't know if that was good, but the, we, we met those guys. They were a strong Southern uh, chapter. And we actually even, well, I won't even tell you, we, we adopted some of their um, uh, tactics. tactics, tactics. Behaviors. And behaviors. I, and those probably outdated at this point, so I won't go into that. Thank you. But I just, I just want to say that we admired um, our frauders at Auburn. And I do wish them the best. I hope those behaviors were more social in nature and less in how they engaged with new members at the time. What's the next Speech, topic? Speechless. Yeah, what's the next topic? Well, I, I already asked my last question. So, uh, Donnie, did you have anything else you wanted to no. touch on? With? I, I think that we've covered a lot of ground. And uh, again, we're extremely grateful for you opening your house to us and just being an unbelievable ambassador for the fraternity. You are, as, as Al said, a gold standard of what an alumni member should be and how we can, you know, something for the rest of our alumni to model themselves out. Thank you. I, I appreciate that. Do you want to just be the third host full-time in the podcast? Well, you know, if I could just, you know, be a Teak staff member in any way oh, possible, yeah, I'd love to do it. That's but a great point. No, no, you guys, you guys are pros. Well, well, thank you. You have listened to, what, over two episodes of the Teak Nation podcast? I actually have listened to over two episodes. That's pretty impressive. It puts you in the top... Three percent. I, I have a hard time working it on the on that film. I understand. We'll get Justin. Device. We'll get Justin to show yeah, you how uh, right. how podcast works. <laughs> all right. Well, thank you, Dave. Uh, that is it for this episode. Hopefully, you all enjoyed our our time spent with uh, with Frater Bowling from his home. We feel like all of our listeners are right here with us in your loft right now, watching baseball. Um, and uh, we're looking forward to bringing you on again sometime. Pro we'll have to come back. We'll have to fly back out here to do it again. But I hope so. We'll be back. I hope All right. So. Thank you. We'll talk to you guys later.